Hey everyone, this is Tom McCaffrey. You're listening to the Last Exit to Brooklyn podcast on Storic Media Podcast Network. Thanks a lot. You're a winner. You can do it. Um, hey everyone, welcome to Last Exit of Brooklyn. <laughs> Should we start over? <laughs> no, we're good, man. Okay. I like it. No, we'll do it. That, this is what people love to see. Is the, Boyish um, humor. The unpolished. <laughs> um, so I uh, hope you guys are good. Um, we're all here. We have a guest. Very um, special guest. We have a very special guest. Um, I've been he, called special by many people. Yes, <laughs> yes. He was yes. on. Uh, he was on Comics Unleashed, as you can probably well, <laughs> sort of tell. Or um, Mike Byron Allen. He was a writer for the Tonight Show for years. Head writer. He was a head writer. Head for monologue writer. Head Tonight monologue Show writer. Okay. Head monologue writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, hilarious wow. comic and um, and joke writing machine. Uh, put your hands together. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If I, forgot, I forgot. I'm not doing a show. John Ryan. People don't everybody. do that. John <laughs> Ryan. We're going to have a, a waitress from Broadway come and stand right in front of me. Waiter, hey, what, what, what can I get you? And I'm oh, well, anyway, I have to keep resetting. Yeah. yeah. How's it going, um, guys? Good to yeah, have you it's here. It's great. Thanks for I'm glad we finally yeah. got a time here. This is cool. You seem comfortable, nice. too. You're in your bed and everything. Yeah, I'm sitting on a bed, and I'm coming to you uh, from wonderful um, New Hampshire, my, my hometown, as a matter of fact, and uh, where I was when uh, we all got kind of locked down. And, oh wow! Um, yeah, and then uh, you know it kind of turned into um, <laughs> I was thinking about coming back, and uh, you know I've been up in the New England area and doing some stuff up here for a bit in uh, Connecticut and Boston, and um, then I was wanting to go back down to New York, and then uh, I, on my way I saw everybody running the other way. <laughs> like, ah, I'm gonna go back here for a yeah. bit. So uh, yeah, so uh, but uh, it's been. I'm, we're all hey, we're all here. You know, it's 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 tough to watch, but um, it's good to be alive. Yeah, so you enjoying it up there right now or no? Um, I am because it's summertime, um, mm-hmm. and so I I miss New York tremendously. Um, really, even even during the summertime, <laughs> no, I, I really do, and um, I you know it's really made me realize how how much I love it and that it's my favorite city and. Um, you know, um, but at the same time, like all you guys, I'm, you know, I, I see the pictures, I see the footage, I read the news and I know it's different and it's going to be different, um, for a while and maybe forever. And so, um, it's really kind of sad. It's, it's in bittersweet. It's just for a while wanting to go back and, uh, just be part of that world again. And, uh, have you done any shows lately? Yeah. I was going to say, when was the last time you did stand up? So last time I did stand up, believe it or not, you know, it's been like, I think New Year's. I think that was the last wow. time I did it. And wow. um, other things kind of pulled me away where, you know, up in, I don't think I did anything in New York. I was down in New York uh, uh, briefly in like February for a few days for a couple of meetings. And um, then um, didn't do any shows, went, saw a couple shows, saw some friends. And um, 
yeah, I just, it's just schedule wise, you know, it seems like everyone zoom shows or at times I can't do them. And, mm-hmm. and then it's like, you know, even in person, um, in the new England circuit, the, the only nights you really work or that you make money are, are Friday and Saturday. Right. And, uh, I had something else take me away on those days. So I wasn't able to go out and do stand up. And, um, so the last time I really did a proper set was, uh, new year's. So do you, so what do you miss doing? I mean, or, um, I, uh, what I miss, I, and this will sound cheesy, but like, I miss just being a part of a show. Yeah. I miss, uh, I miss being on a lineup with other funny people and, uh, being in the room with them and, and, um, you know, being able to be like physically not super far away from everybody or in a glass case. Like I saw one club had, that's great, but it's like, oh, I man. saw that too. What and, club is that? It was out in the governor's, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good for them. That's a smart thing, but it's like, I miss that. And, uh, but I think that just so much has gone on for me, uh, over the past couple of years, I kind of got a head start on everybody with, uh, the, the new, the quote unquote new normal, uh, that, um, that now everyone's catching up with me and saying, man, I'm having crazy dreams. And I'm like, yeah, it happens all the time. (laughs) Get used to it. Um, but, um, so I've been in and out of stand up and kind of, um, just wondering how to do it. And, um, well, I know Tom, Tom, this weekend did, you did some shows in Minnesota. Yeah. I'm in Minneapolis and I was at, uh, Acme this week and weekend. I was open. Yeah, it's the, they're doing you know like twenty five percent capacity. My friend Shelby Organ, who I started out with in L.A., um, he lives here and he was headlining. And I I just I just did guest spots on all his shows. But it was um, I mean, it, I've always heard that's a great club, and it is. I mean, the the crowds were. I mean, there weren't that many people, but they were great. Is that, was, the, is that the one in the Mall of America? Or no, no, that's um, House of Comedy, oh, okay. which apparently isn't as good. But I don't because <laughs> Acme is like. Yeah, that's the one everyone says is great. Oh no, yeah, that's, well, that's I've done. I you know I haven't done Acme. I did House of Comedy, and I had a good time there too. So there you go. Uh, I, I heard it's good, but first of all, it holds more people. I just heard that the the crowds are um, harder because it's like a lot of since it's in a mall, it's a lot of tourists and people. Oh so. yeah, I think someone was saying. Well, how how was your show? They were they were great. I was. I mean, the the last show we did last night was there were like. 11 people but what's so funny is like everyone outside new york is so spoiled because like I, I was there you know and they were like oh god there's like 25 people here you know but they were like great they were like dying laughing and i was like yeah this is an amazing it's show fantastic. to me yeah. Yeah. i was like this is like if i did a show like that was that they were there because they were good crowds you know they would laugh so yeah but they're used to just it being packed with you know 180 people and mm-hmm. It is funny when you get out of New York, you're just kind of like, oh shit. So, so I'm curious. So, John, how did 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 you? So, did you start doing stand up? Is that how you got started? He started in Boston, right? Started in Boston at a a club called uh, the Comedy Studio, which uh, was uh, originally in Harvard Square, and is now uh, at a bigger location. They they outgrew uh, because they were just turning people away just every night. And Eric, I think you did the studio and. They're now in uh, Somerville, and um, so that's where I started out and um, went uh, to college wanting to be a, uh, like a sketch writer. Um, that was kind of the dream, and then um, going along, uh, people kind of were like, I, they just noticed that even though I hated, 
I almost never watched the monologues on late night shows. I don't oh, really? Had. Yeah, just because like I liked Letterman's just because he he would just be Letterman and he would just kind of like you know, yeah what he was gonna do. But as far as like anything else, I was always like, oh god, news! Like I just didn't want to hear it, I, you know, because I didn't understand it and a lot of it. Nineteen or whatever, and um, but then as time went along, we had to do it like for classes and stuff. I went to Emerson College, and uh, uh, did you know I, then you were good at it? I, no, well, I so the first time I ever did it, um, I had to we had to write a five minute monologue for and the professor was named Marty Cook, who was a wrote for a bunch of sitcoms in the eighties and nineties, and so she was like not messing around, and so. Uh, five minutes and I was like well five minutes big deal you know because I'd been doing stand-up and so I sat down to write a monologue and I didn't know that for a five-minute monologue you know that's like 20 jokes that's probably. a lot that's, yeah. yeah that's a lot of stuff and she had a lot of rules she was like you had to have this many political jokes you had to have some jokes at the end that made sense and you had to have segues and callbacks and you know Jeez. all these things you had to do and I was like big deal I do stand-up and this thing took me like four or five hours to write. And by the end I was just sweating. Like I was literally sitting at my desk, just like, just like, this is awful. Like I had gotten to the point where it was like a paper that you just never wanted. You didn't care what grade you got on it. I was like, I just never want to see this again. Right. And so I went in, <laughs> that was part one. And then I remembered, I was like, Oh God, we got to present. Like we had to tell them the next day we had oh, to do God. it in class. So I had to, so I'm on like four hours sleep and I didn't have time. Like, I was just trying to get there in time because if you, if you were late, your grade went down with her and didn't have any coffee or anything. And um, I just really uh, I went up and just tried to be David Letterman, basically, and just did it the way he would do it. And uh, luckily, there was a you know a couple of easy things, like we were in a really cold day in Boston, so I was able to do a couple of, oh, the weather is so cold, sort of right. jokes, mm -hmm. all that. And uh, it went great. And then she, and then this other guy named Pete Chivani, who was like kind of the like the Lorne slash Vince McMahon of Emerson when I went there. <laughs> and um, I finally had a meeting with him. Um, I was always kind of scared to really talk to him, even though I'd done some work for him. And he um, he just listened listened to me talk and say, "I don't know what I'm doing," and it feels like I'm not as good as the other people here at Sketch. I'm not getting anything in classes and stuff. And he just said, because um, you're, you're a joke writer, you know, you're a monologue writer. Uh -huh. And then he pointed out all the work I did. I was like, oh, yeah. And so, um, and then he said that the, that was a good way to break in. He said that everyone trying to be a, a sitcom writer, got to get an agent. You got to write a spec script. You got to go do all these things. Yeah. And he's like, if you can just write jokes, this is before Twitter. And this was sort of like, Jokes had kind of died at the time. They weren't really premium because of everyone was trying to be Chappelle's show. Everyone was trying to YouTube was starting to show up, mm -hmm. so there was no pre, you know, there's no need for jokes. And so he was like, "Why don't you do something no one else is doing, and you're good at it?" And uh, and that's kind of how I got into it. And once once I got involved in it, and um, you know, like I, I had a contact that got me in touch with Jay Leno, and uh, we talked, and I did. Did you like submit him. stuff to him? Yeah, I was a I was a freelance writer for him for the last few for the last few years of his first Tonight Show. Wow! <laughs> wow. I was um, I wrote jokes and uh, got, and there was kind of a loophole because he would buy them and use them in his stand up and uh, also oh. use them on air and so that's how I was we were able to circ you know I was like and everyone was cool that they're like I was just this kid he's trying to help out and um, oh, uh, how, I just want so how do you get started like when you were like okay I'm going to do this how do you get started with that what what is your first 
like does someone say hey contact us like how did you start writing for jay leno so okay so that's a so briefly uh this guy uh barry who is a family friend and uh, his his daughter was best friends with my sister uh they he grew up with jay and they were like best friends growing up in andover oh, nice. massachusetts and uh i bothered him for years and he just kind of said yeah, but you don't do what Jay does. You know, you, I know you, you do sketches and videos and stuff. And Jay's a joke guy. You got to know the news. You don't follow the news. And so, um, that summer I just started following the news and I started trying it and taking what I'd learned from Emerson. And, um, then, uh, I, I sent him a page and he said, these are pretty good. And he said, all right, I'll, I'm going to, on a Saturday, he said, I, I mailed Jay a note um uh, with your you know resume and who you are and put in a good word and good luck and so that monday night uh i was in my room my parents house and uh the phone rings i think it's my grandmother or something and knock on the door and it's dad and, he, and dad uh you know he was a navy pilot and an airline captain so he didn't typically look nervous and dad looked real nervous and i said what's going on and he said, uh, it's Jay Leno. Oh, on the phone? On the phone. Wow. And so Crazy. I remember just taking it. What What year? Sorry. What year? This is, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is last month, so it's not so. No, no, yeah. I wanna... I like, if you want to come drive my cars on the show? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, I, I, actually, seriously, seriously, seriously. I would. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was 2005 and uh, October of 05. Okay. And, All right. Um, yeah, really pre, yeah. right pre-internet. Right, right, right before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and he, I just took the phone and I was like, "There's no, this can't really be him." And I just said, "Like, hello," and I was like, "This John?" He's like, "Yeah." This is Jay Leno, (laughs) Barry, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And and so he, uh, we talked for I think about forty five minutes, and we talked about about going to Emerson and uh, how each of us liked it there a lot. But he went went to Emerson too. Yeah. And, but we had the Uh, same problem is that we loved it and we loved the people, but it was like, what, what, that's, what's my thing? Like, what do we do? And how we got got frustrated at times. And wait, so with Emerson, people put put it on So a lot of standup comedians go to Emerson. Yeah. And that's become like a big, you know, TV type school, right? Oh yeah. They're killing it. They're doing some great work. Yeah. Why is that though? Like, does Emerson? As long as it's not Harvard, I'm happy. Yeah, but like, why is well not this year? Does Emerson have um, like, does it specialize in? Because I remember hearing this even like back when I was in high school that that was a thing. So, do they have a curriculum for like a comedy for someone who wants to aspiring to be in comedy? They do now, and I was there when they were sort of doing it under the radar before it was like officially a thing. And you kind of found the right people. And so it was Marty Cook. It was Pete Giovanni. It was this guy, Mike Bent. And uh, you would kind of find the right people. And it was almost like a fight club sort of like <laughs> curriculum where it was like you were secretly doing comedy for your thing. And uh, I had a real major. I was a, a, a media studies major. So like history of TV, film, and radio. That's my That was major. your major, history of TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense for everyone. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, so um, it's weird. It's like, I saw a lot of these weird references that, you know, Higgins or whatever would make over the years. People would be like, what? I'd be like, Oh, he's this guy that didn't, you know, that's like, I know that's my <laughs> about Steve Higgins, right? Yeah. I'm a history major. And so, uh, and I was, and that was my focus in high school too. So that's what I went there for. And I did well, um, better once I started getting involved with these people because, uh, 
when you start to do extracurricular stuff in Emerson, they follow you. And so like they see how your grades are doing and they, it's almost wow. like playing sports. And I got called in senior year, as a matter of fact, by Pete. And I was supposed to go do, of all things, and you'll see why this is ironic in a bit, but I was supposed to go shoot something with Vince McMahon. And uh, oh, yeah. he was in Boston, and uh, I got a call, called, called, come to my office, and he showed me my grade in one of the classes. And he said, seems to me you should be, when's your next exam? I said, Thursday. And he said, I don't, you're not going to see Vince McMahon tonight. And he's like, okay. <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. and that so. <laughs> I mean, that was just the way it is. That's how Emerson was, is that it, it was like a sports team. If your grades weren't up, you couldn't be part of the group. And so, um, well, you, you want to just go ahead, sir. So uh, I think the thing about Emerson is, so when I went there, it was the very tail end of like Jay's kind of era, his Emerson. It was kind of the tail end of just like the liberal arts school for the misfit toys and just you kind of find yourself. And by the time I was a senior, you could tell something was going on because the kids that were getting in were really, really good. And they were, they were ready made as freshmen. Whereas for me, it took me a year and a half or two to really figure it out what I wanted. Well, who, what do you mean ready made? Like they, they, they were good. They were good kids. They got good grades. They're all very talented. They all were, were willing to take part and be good sports and, and um, take their lumps early and work their way up. Whereas I was kind of a snob and kind of a brat. I mean, we all kind of, my class, that was just who we were uh, at the beginning. We all thought we were too good to have to start at the beginning. And um, I think it's just, uh, and I was lucky in that the last two years I was there, they had brand new facilities, like real TV studios. Like I'm not talking like college, I mean like, you know, 30 rock kind of TV. Studios. Oh, wow. And uh, they have performance theaters too, that can double as TV. So it's like, like I went to some, you know, when I was teaching there last year, I went into a couple of, you know, students said, Hey, come see my show or whatever. And so I went and, um, and it's like being at a, like a Conan taping or something. And they have the seats that are elevated and they have the stage and everything. And it's really amazing. And so, um, I well, I actually want to just, we don't have so much time. So I want to move up a little bit to your tonight show experience. So let me, I'll just finish up by saying, yeah. I think, I think it's because of Marty and they have, they, they took people who take comedy real seriously mm -hmm. and have high standards. And I think that things like Twitter, YouTube, all that helped out. And they were okay. able to, go, to go to the Dean and everybody and say, Hey guys, I think we got something here. And, uh, and at first everyone was like, ha ha ha, but you guys are seeing it. These guys are yeah. in the world and they're good. So it's, it's a cool thing. So what was your first, so after tonight's show, did you, cause this is what, you know, these, you know, getting a, like a staff writing job on, on these shows, you know, people outside of it don't understand that they're very, very hard to break into. So, and he, he was, you were with the Tonight Show from the, well, the very beginning, wasn't you were the yeah, late show? So, right? so I came in six months. I was hired on the day of the 100th uh, late night episode that Jimmy had done. So, six months into the 1230 show uh, on a Friday in the summertime, that was when I was hired. So this is before the Tonight Show. This was well before. Oh yeah, I was there for for most of late night. Yep. What what year did he start? Two thousand like nine or something. I started uh, my first day in the office was September eighth of two thousand nine. Okay, and is that when like like Jezelnik was there and oh, yeah, Morgan shared, Murphy? Jezelnik and I shared an office. He was uh, oh, okay. He was one of my office mates, and um, so that was really cool. That was like a you know, it's one of those things where he was one of my favorite comics at the time too, and. Um, so it was, you know, your first five minutes at work, you're like, my God, 
you know, like I'm in a room with Jezelnik and he was cool. Did, did you, and how did you get that job? Was it just you, someone, is it just so, like, cause you had worked on the other show? Okay. So, um, summer. So Oh nine was, a, I, I always had Oh nine pegged for being a big year, like a breakthrough year. Yeah. Um, but did not have the right reason. I, it turns out I, the way I looked at it was I knew Jay and I'd done a really good job for him. And I knew Brian Kylie at Conan. And yeah, he really he's a liked, great joke writer. Oh, he well, he's the best. Yeah, nice guy him, too. He's number one, and Alex Bays is one A. And yeah. so it's like there, that's it. That's you know whatever. It's take your pick, and then you can build a staff around those guys. And so Alex Bays right now works for a Seth Meyers show. Seth Myers, yeah. And so um, I Brian liked me, and he was a very nice guy. But he genuinely he liked my jokes, and he liked he they needed a guy like me, and um, so. I was thinking one way or the other, I'm either going to get in with Jay or get in with Conan and neither one worked out with Jay. Um, I, I think he just, you know, I know what it was. It was, I'd already asked too many favors. I'd already kind of gone to the well too many times for references and things like that. I think he was like, yeah, I've done enough for this guy. And then with uh, Conan, uh, they thought they were going to have like two or three mono slots. They had one, they got someone who was a little bit above me instead. And then I had nothing. And so, um, also, for the first time, I had no one to write for uh, because Jay wasn't going to be on the air. And uh, I had been one of the, they don't do it anymore, but they used to do freelance for Weekend Update for Saturday Night Live. Right. And I got some jokes on for Seth. And so that was off for the summer too. So I had nothing to do. And I was like, oh, geez. And so I looked up who ran the monologue at Fallon. It was Wayne Fetterman, uh, who's a great that guy. That guy's a funny dude. Oh, he's yeah. great and yeah. one of the nicest humans in the world and funny and everything. Like a big TV actor, really, you know? Yeah, he's one of those guys where he's just, it's almost like a Fred Willard sort of thing. Where he's yeah. Just funny. He just shows up and he's funny. <laughs> yeah. He's yeah. on yeah. some funny episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, God, he's great. Yeah. I just he, saw him he, in uh, Step Brothers the other night. Oh, he's so good. And and so I emailed him and I was like, well, you know, of all people, uh, my dad, who, again, was not a big, you know, like, um, he just happened to, he had insomnia at the time. And so he said, you know, I've been watching that uh, Jimmy Fallon guy's show. And <laughs> they do this thing where he thanks people or he writes these, these cards and sends them off. And there's, you know, you should check it out and uh, whatever. And so I looked up Wayne and I emailed him and uh, didn't think I'd hear back. And uh, the next day at like nine in the morning, there was the email. And he was just like, wow. oh, here's your packet as a faxer and good luck. And then was, uh, your, did, was it a good packet? Obviously. Um, I didn't send. I didn't have to send him anything because he because he loves Leno, so he saw that oh, credit and he was like, so "That was in. your packet." He was like, "You're in as a faxer, and you get paid again." And I remember not being proud because I was like, "Great, I've gone from freelancing for the 11:30 show to <laughs> doing the same thing for the 12:30 yeah. show." It's like eh. more years you get on Carson Daly, you know. Oh, that was yeah. trying to write for Flomax ads and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and and ShamWow infomercials and so yeah, those, are, yeah, those are great those yeah are really so great. so i, I didn't think that. much of it and i wasn't really proud of it and i didn't even really tell many people i was doing it and i did it for about a month and a half two months um just i don't know what but i was getting a lot on and it but it wasn't a lot it was the same i got on jay and so i was like okay well you know whatever same thing it's a lead to something else hopefully and then uh, wayne was like hey you know you're killing it and i was like what do you mean he's like like you're getting like as many jokes on sometimes as people who work here. Like during no, so, week. so how many jokes would that be? Like how many would you submit, and then how many would you get on? Um, you were only allowed to submit eight per morning, and then you were like, and that was five shows a week, 
and then you would get to do like maybe three to five in the afternoon if they needed something more and that was it and it was like right. you couldn't go over the limit and so and, what's like a good like ratio to get on like if you get two on is that great or yeah that... i started i started at like two which was kind of where it was with jay and then it worked to the point where i was getting like five uh per week and um then and how many were you writing a day you were just you just writing like the 10 or 12 yeah i was writing like 15 a day like that and uh, now getting, like, when you were on the show well we'll, mm-hmm. we'll get to that in a minute but you could say how it how it happens okay uh, when I was on the show, well, I mean, how you got the job full time? Yeah, oh, you got okay. like actually hired to be the full time okay. writer. So um, I actually went out. Uh, <laughs> this is the weirdest thing. I uh, got an interview with Jay, and then I heard that I was not going to get the job. So I was like, "Well, screw that! I'm going to cancel the thing." And they were then my friend who you know Barry was like, "John, look, if, if you don't go, just show." You have to show up for the interview. You have to at least, you know, put a good step forward. He's your reference for everything, you know. And so I did. I flew to L.A. for no reason for an interview for a job that I knew they already had someone for. And I was just like a backup. And the day after I got the official word that they were not hiring me, I got the email from uh, Mike Shoemaker's assistant at Fallon saying, would you like to come in this Friday uh, for an interview? for a monologue job. So I literally, as the J door, literally, as it closed at like 5 p.m. on a Monday night, and then Tuesday at like 10 in the morning, they were like, do you want to come talk to us here at Fallon? Uh, and so it was crazy. And that's real. And I've, I've had to double check my email to be like, I'm not making this up, right? And that's right. I, have, I still have both messages. And then so um, went in on a Friday, and I remembered that I had a meeting with Rick Ludwin. I don't mean to name drop here, but yeah. he's, a, he's a great guy. And he was basically the, the beloved late night executive at NBC. And he got Conan and Seinfeld on the air and kept them on the air. And I had a meeting with him once with some friends to pitch an idea that Jay got us in. And we all, like idiots, wore suits to this meeting <laughs> in Los Angeles. And we were all looked like bankers. You know, <laughs> It looked like we were going in to kill Rick Ludwin. And who... who who sadly is no longer, he's passed and, oh. and we miss him. But uh, he even said, you are you here to kill me? Are you here to do a <laughs> job? And I was like, no, no, no. And so um, I had the meeting on that Friday and I remembered he, Ludwin and I had, had talked afterwards and I apologized for how I dressed. And he uh, said, oh, no, no. He goes, it gave us something to talk about. It's very mm-hmm. funny. He goes, it's very important in meetings. So with Jimmy, I really didn't know. I didn't. I had no in with these guys. I didn't know any of them personally, and I didn't know how to really dress. So I, I wore a blazer and a tie, like one of my dad's ties from the '90s, and like uh, I literally looked like if you're like a guy from New Hampshire going into interview for a job in New York, I, I looked like that guy, and uh, on a, like a 95 degree day in New York, oh no, and went into the interview, and. Um, Sure enough, they all thought it was funny, and then they didn't know that it was, as they would call it in wrestling, a work. Like it was kind of a plan on my part, um, but it got ball rolling, and we had a good interview. And um, it was it was awkward as every interview with me typically is, but I was able to save myself and kind of Jimmy and I hit it off, and we finished. But that, but, notes and, yeah, but that interview's got to be a little. You know, it's got to get you a little nervous because it's like yeah. they kind of want you already. They just kind of want to see that you're that was not the, insane. That was that was the thing. It was literally like, yeah, it was kind of that thing of like, 
all right, we're going out here to, to win. We're up three games to two. And yeah. you know, going to win. And so it was like You can only blow it at that point. Yep. And oh I oh I almost blew it. Yeah. I almost blew it. <laughs> and that was that was confirmed to me. I, I went as far as you could. And um I uh but yeah, you go in and it, it was almost like that scene in Titanic where she dies or whatever and you go like the door opens up and there they all were. And there was uh eighty miles and then there was Jimmy and then there was uh Gavin Purcell, who's now the showrunner, and then there was Mike Shoemaker, who's now Seth's showrunner, and Wayne. And they were all just there, and it was almost it's like that scene in Seinfeld when he goes into pitch and the door opens. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, that, yeah. It's a hundred percent like that. Yeah. So when and you got the job, much, how pumped were you? I mean, you must. I mean, you were young. Dude, it was a, oh, dude, nothing untoppable. And uh, to this day, uh, it'll it's it will never be topped. And uh, I knew, yeah. and I. You know, I was I was I, I was very lucky that day because I went back to Boston afterwards, and um, I was very lucky to see almost everyone uh, in my life that was really important and had been supportive that day. And I got to go to the comedy studio, and they had they'd already set up like a congratulations thing and everything. And oh, that's and great! It was really great, and uh, yeah, it was it was great. It was like, and I knew, and I was. But I knew to take that. I take it in. I was like, you will never so have. What was it? Yeah, and I just so what was it like? Like when you first start that, is it just like, like super terrifying every day yeah. for the first like two months? You or, feel like you're gonna get fired for the. Yeah, first do you feel time. like you're gonna lose your job every day for a, a little while? Or uh, okay, so it started off. Um, I started off really hot, and um, again, I didn't know I was really good at this, and. I had never taken a class on how to do monologue writing. There was no Twitter really that at the time when I was getting into it. Uh, there was no like way to really, all I did was watch monologues and then I try to find transcripts and look at how the joke looked on paper. But I was kind of like the guitarist that can play guitar and can't read music. That was kind of who I, I, yeah. I could do it, but I didn't know how I was doing it. And so, uh, and, and how many jokes were you writing a day at that point? Uh, that, I would say probably whatever, like, four pages comes to the early days because we had a great staff. We had Jezelnik and Morgan Murphy and Jeremy Bronson and um, Eric Ma Legend. Came Morgan Murphy? The, yep. Mm -hmm. And um, who's great. And so it was, you know, and then Wayne every now and then would he'd come up with his own thing and so would Jimmy and it was fantastic. And so... And how, how does it uh, work? Is it like a job you have to go in at 9 a.m. every day until like a certain time? Like is it like a 9 to 5 job? Is that where they lose job? you? Uh, it's, well... <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. My my, as anyone will tell you, uh, you could always tell what kind of year Ryman and what kind of mood Ryman was in based on when he was showing up and going home. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it started off about, about that. And um, but what happened was I I was really good at the start, so I got off to a hot start. And um, that's like the key. They, I they, think I think they picked me up my second. They picked up my option. I think after like three weeks to come uh -huh. back for another thirteen. And so. But I didn't. I didn't know any of this. Again, I didn't understand that this was like a big deal. Do you think that helps? Because it's like if you go in, kind of like, oh yeah, I, like, oh, it. dude, I would tell you right now. I'll tell everybody that for me, the worst thing to happen to me was starting off that good and starting off that hot. Oh yeah, because I was only twenty six years old, and uh, I I had had a, a really rough year of just doing like road gigs and stand up and everything, and. Um, it was like the you know Steve Martin and the jerk. It was like I went from being this humble country bumpkin to like you know, just I buying a PlayStation and you know going like getting better you know, better jeans and just you know uh, and but also with that I was like hey I'm good and I'm gonna now I'm good and now I'm gonna tell everyone I'm good and I'm gonna act good and 
it's fine until all of a sudden you hit the wall a little bit. And when you hit the wall a little bit, uh, it's, it's you. Like if everyone else is getting jokes on the show and you're not really getting anything on and Jimmy's that, that, that must be frustrating though. Sometimes you're writing like it 50 is, jokes a day. And- 26 years old and you're me and you, you get in your head. And the other thing is my sec, my first, cause my first week was like a four day week it was labor day or whatever. But the first like full week of five shows, I got 15 jokes. And so I was like, well, this is the number that I must get every single week. And so if I got 13 jokes, I, whoever was picking the jokes, I'd get mad at them. And I, yeah. I do, you know, I used to, and then when I wasn't getting anything on, I was like, oh, you're screwed. How dare you? You know, I'm the hot, you picked me up after, instead of thank you for picking me up so early, it was, you picked me up early. Why aren't you, I'm, I'm the genius here. And so um, it sort of became this thing where, yeah, it was kind of like the, the rookie with a temperament and the rookie yeah. guy. That it seems, was, sounds like a very 20s thing to do. Super <laughs> 20s and it was, it was super 20s and, and it was just very hard to deal. And, you know, um, Miles and Bronson in particular uh, sat me down a few times and just kind of one time very forcefully, but nicely, but like the two of them facing me and just said, you have to stop this. You have to stop acting this way. And I would, and I would stop for a while, but then there'd be that, thing again and so acting what way like getting mad at people or just going yeah. cocky going cocky uh i was you know anything that didn't go my way it was someone else's fault um it was jimmy's fault it was the audience it was miles because he didn't pick it it was bronson because he didn't pick it or jimmy didn't say it right or did whatever. you show anger like paul neil like breaking bats and stuff like that or i did the comedy <laughs> oh yeah i did the comedy <laughs> version of that I, yeah there were some um throwing some dunkin donuts cups in the trash and stuff like that <laughs> Uh, and you were there, so you know, that's over the uh, that's over the line throwing throwing cups in the trash. Well, when the trash <laughs> when the tra- when the trash is in the hallway, yeah. No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's, it's, uh, uh, yeah, when you have to actually when when people turn and look, yeah, it's a little. Uh, but, but it's yeah. a stress. It's a stressful job. I mean, I know it's it a, was it's a good it, paying job, but it's but still stressful. It, what happened was Jezelnik kept me in place, and he was kind of the enforcer for the team, and he was kind of you knew not to act like a, a jerk when he was around because he'd call you on it in a very hilarious Jezelnik way. And so you, you didn't want to have that happen. And then when he left and there was kind of, you know, Jeremy always did his best, but yeah, I, there, I would say from like 2011 uh, or 2010 ish to like 2012 or so. Yeah. I was that guy. I was the guy that like got the most jokes on and they kept picking me up and giving me raises. Everyone was like, God damn, what's this guy's deal? Like why, when's he going to be happy? When's he going to, and <laughs> You know, the the funny thing was, I mean, that was the same take with Jimmy a lot of times. And so I think that's how I, I got away with it. And um, eventually what happened was Jeremy left and I kind of What's inherited this Jeremy, some, who's this? Jeremy Bronson, who's okay. now back. And uh, I kind of inherited some of his job. And then I saw the other side of it. And I started having to read other people's jokes. And that's You're the guy who's picking the jokes now. Some of them, yeah. yeah. And I was kind of easing into that. And they, they did like a six-month sort of like, because they were like, this guy is the best guy for the job. He's also psycho. So it's like we need to kind of – there was kind of a special program for me to – and also you, regular it, meetings with Shoemaker like, all right, you know, grow up, you know, stop. But then I started seeing it from their perspective because I started having people call call me and be like, hey, how come my joke wasn't in? And I have to uh, explain it and then I had to learn how to explain it and how to – and uh, that's, you know, around, uh, fittingly, around the time I turned 30, it was like, hey, man, stop 
you know, stop being a brat. Stop. And so yeah. that's when I, I looked at at that point, uh, fighting for jokes. I, I looked at it the same way as arguing balls and strikes. It was like, yeah, you're you're out of there. That's the one thing. It's one thing if you if you're in a slump and it feels like you're not connecting or, um, you know, you, the monologue's doing poorly and you feel like you all need to do something different. But if it's just you, I didn't get jokes in a day. I mean, go home, get out. Yeah, like, it's like when you watch basketball and they they argue every call. Yeah, that's what it became, and so it was just and it was and so. But again. But people, like, think all, people, people like Morgan Murphy, who only knew me, you know, in that that early iteration of someone who just complained about everything or, or just looked mad, even when I wasn't, you know, I, I still just looked intense. That stays with you. So, but it's yeah. a stressful job, I, I think. It seems very stressful. And, but you got good at it. I mean, like, I mean, you were always good at it, but like, you would, I think the more you do something, obviously, the better you get. So you're turning yeah. out after a while, like 60 jokes a day, I think you told me at one point, right? Yeah, yeah. And there were some crazy days, too. There were days where like, I got like 10 jokes on the show out of 12 or something like wow. that. Wow. Um, and, you know, yeah. But the thing with that is, you know, I was very young and I didn't have much money yet. And so typically someone would get very good and they go, all right, I'm done here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave. And sure. I you were making a lot of money too. Like, give us an exact, give us an exact figure. (laughs) No, yeah. How much money do you have right in your pocket right now? (laughs) (laughs) I oh, trust me, I know that. Um, But um, and it's not bad. I I was smart with my money. But um, but I I remember you'd be like, you know, bitches and cocaine the whole time. That was all about. That was you. Yeah, yeah, I'd come over to your house. I'd watch you with them. I'd be like, all right, that's good enough for me. And you'd be like, are you ever gonna chip in? I'd be like, no, no, I'm just here to watch. And so uh, it's part, it's part of your CIA cover. (laughs) <laughs> I um so I but so I got good I kind of peaked mentally at it young before but it, and then it was like well now what uh, I still need to keep saving up money and I'm kind of personal life wise tied to the East Coast right now and so yeah it kind of became this game of like especially after Bronson left he was always kind of like a friendly rival of yeah. what, he's the guy in the office you know you you always hear you'll meet someone someday who's like you basically and compete with them and stuff and he was that guy for me and when he left i never quite found another person that was really like that for me ever and so that's when things got really unhealthy and that's when it became competing like birdman you know it became competing with yourself and you start thinking like you start talking to yourself and saying like you know, I got four jokes on today. I got to get five tomorrow. Wait, wait, wait. You mean unhealthy? What? And just in terms of like your like em- emotionally or yeah, like just for, like the drive to do the job. It was like putting too much pressure on yourself. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. It's a burnout job, I think. A but that's but that's what I had to do in order to keep doing it. Was right. uh, in order to not get lazy and just mm-hmm. complacent, and then all of a sudden have just like not get anything on, and um, I had to make up things i'd be like i've gotten a joke on every friday since i've been here i have to have a joke on friday or i'd you know i'd say you know i've only had like seven jokes this week and i gotta hit double figures or whatever and so it was like this crazy it was yeah it just it became less about i have this great job that's a dream and did yeah. you did you have slumps where like there'd be a few weeks and you wouldn't get anything on you'd be like you feel like you couldn't yeah like, i would get say, out of it uh the end of 2010 Felt like a slump, but again, it wasn't. It was I was still getting like ten jokes a week, but it was because I wasn't getting those big giant days. 
that I started to be like, oh, I'm burned. You know, I'm I'm all, uh, I'm all washed up. It's a, it sounds like you have a super high expectations of like your what you know yourself in general. And yeah. and when people do that, I mean, when I, I I think I tend to do that in certain areas. And it's like it's really great in some respect. It like you know you 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 produce a lot. You're like you do well. But it's really not good for your own head, usually. No, and I mean, ultimately, that was the undoing. I mean, that was ultimately kind of uh, what happened. And, um, you know, it was just like you said. And, I mean, I don't know where, Eric, if you had any other questions or where you want to go to from here. But No, no, because I, I, uh, I was talking about, so you, more, I want to talk more about the joke as, writing as good, as good as it started, there's also a crazy how it ended. So yeah. whenever well, I, have ready, a, I, I have a question. So because you were there for so long, what was it like when they would bring new people on? Like, so they would bring new people on and would there just be people that would sometimes just get no jokes on and then it would just kind of yeah. be like, okay, you can't stay here. Uh, yeah, that happened a lot. Um, and um, a lot of times there's people that would be funny on Twitter and uh, then we they'd come in and um, to their credit, no one ever really, I mean, like, there was maybe one or, that's I can't say nobody. There was like a couple people who were like Twitter celebrities yeah. Who, yeah. who had an attitude. How, how, would you, how would you say the difference is writing a Twitter joke compared to a monologue joke twitter jokes on your own time and um it's whatever you want it to be and um it's an echo chamber everyone that follows you is a fan of you so they're gonna like whatever you say and you know i see like when i taught at emerson i see my students will see a tweet and they'll get like 75 likes i'm like oh man good for them they went by and i'll check their followers and it's like they've only got like 150 followers like oh just all their friends uh, we talked okay. about that, and they know that too. And so, their Gen Z is very smart, and they're aware that like Twitter does not mean whatever. But the generation just in front of them didn't quite get that, and so it would always be one or the other. It would never be in the middle. So you'd either have someone who's you know, how dare you? They not be using my jokes, which was the more rare case, more common. Um, it was. Unfortunate, you know, there'd be someone we were very excited to bring in and we all knew from Twitter and they were really cool and nice to meet. And then, then, um, jokes were due and you, did you ever use any of your monologue jokes in your standup? Um, only ones that Jimmy, uh, there's one that, uh, Jimmy, like the ones that you couldn't use on on the show. Yeah. There's one that I wrote that, uh, miles forgot to pass along to him and apologize for and then I said, "Don't worry, man. I just did it Friday night at the cellar." Oh, <laughs> so nice. you, so did it, help, did it help your um, your stand up career? Or like, so I'm interested how that because I feel like sometimes people will get these great jobs and then they they get frustrated because they're like, "Well, I, I want to do more performing and I can't because of that." Like, how did well, that's you, I think always uh, an issue with. Did, yeah. Were you able to perform more? Did it help you, you think? Or do you think people started being like, oh, he's, he's a writer? Like, how did that? Yeah, I definitely felt that. Um, in particular, uh, at the cellar from some people. There was, um, and it was never, it was never people, uh, like the people you'd think it would be, like the, the heavy hitters. Um, they that, don't care. Oh, they were great. No, yeah. they were cool. They're really big they're, guys. They don't care because they're not threatened no, but they by were, But guys like Colin and Gullman and... Um, yeah. You know, like they were, um, you know, and, you know, the, the, you know, God, you know, we miss him. William Stevenson, um, uh, you know, they, dude. Uh, they, they all knew and they were cool about it. And they actually respected that people like me still did it. And they were like, yeah. you know, they would even, they, even, William would always give me a, a great introduction. He'd say, hey, this guy has to be at work tomorrow writing jokes for this guy. <laughs> so think of how funny he has to be. So you guys better be nice to him right now so he doesn't have to burn it. 
that you know the show won't be good tomorrow if you guys aren't you know and so they were cool um and you were on some killer shows over there with like you know shows mm. with rock and stuff like that right well i think it was chris rock it might have been jimmy but uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you know oh shit uh, oh shit i no I, I, come on I, he would i think he would i, I I'm, I'm owed at least that um but uh you know yeah i got to go on those guys and by the way those guys were great chris was always great and uh the people at this yeah, they always talk about being scared to follow people at the cellar um there's really no better experience in stand-up because the staff takes care of you literally because yeah. i had to go on after tracy and chris oh, wow. and then wow. <laughs> and i i was trying to get out of it i was trying to talk my way on to the next show yeah that's a rough one man. i was sweating and uh val wouldn't let me off the hook because she was um she was um, a uh, a supporter and very nice and liked me from the beginning. And then uh, Steve Fabricant, you may know him, Outdoor Steve, the Yankee hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally sat with me to make sure I would not leave. Mm. And literally, and to just keep telling me, hey, man, we're just going over the jokes and you're going to be good. And um, then whoever's ahead of you. So for me, in this case, Chris, and then there's a few others. Um, they Even Louie, um, you know, yeah. and sadly with Louie, it, it happened right before we found out everything and I'd kind of already heard about it. So it kind of ruined the experience for me, but um, they always would then in their last minute, put over the next comic and say like, you know, all right, well, I've just been messing around and I've been eating up time and, you know, and, but this next guy, he's waiting there ready to go and he's funny. And then you go on and it's all, you know, they kind of put you over and um, about a minute and a half in you're, you're cruising. And so, yeah, I would say that um, it hurt in that, yeah, it was always a balancing act. And the thing was, as I got better at stand-up, though, I rose at the show. Yeah. So it took away the time. I, so the better I got at stand-up, the less time I had to do stand-up. Did you, yeah, did you so. do stand-up? You did stand-up on the show, right? Yep. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the first time was great. And that was first time was literally just Disneyland. I was just like, whatever. And the second one, uh, there was just all sorts of stuff. It was the tight show, so their standards were a lot harder in terms of not like comedy stand, but like in terms of stuff they'd let me say was was yeah. But you did well. I've been by. I, I, it, yeah, it ended up well, but like there was probably I'd say I did a good five minutes, but man, there was a great three minutes that got cut from that set just because. I mean, leading up to that day, I had a joke that I was going to close on. It was about Pope Francis, and the the gist was that he was such a good guy at being pope. I thought he was trying to be fired from being pope, like that was the fake, <laughs> and it was everyone liked it. But then he was he he was coming to New York and we had him booked for like five minutes. We had him booked to come on and talk to Jim. Oh, Pope oh. was going to be on the show. Yeah, and they oh. called me, so I got emailed into the showrunner's office or I got called in and I was like, "What's?" I thought I was losing the set for some reason. He's like, "You just have to cut the Pope joke." And I was like, "Like why?" I just have to set wait for a second. Sorry. Everything uh, all right? Tom? We lost him. Jeez, that was <laughs> <laughs> he's a fan of the Pope, by the I way. Know, really yeah, yeah, I think you offended him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I think his computer's dying. Okay. All right. Okay, we have a full view of this. And um, then three days later, <laughs> Rose. Yes. The MacBook. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, but I mean, no one ever I mean, talked about what happened after that, though. No, oh, right. Go ahead. Jesus came back. <laughs> I don't have a bit. I'm just saying. It's like, it's like, and, and then what happened? It's like, ah, it's weird, man. We all thought he was dead. And like. No, it, <laughs> 
You always nobody ever did that again. Yeah, what, always, what do you What do you think about now about monologue jokes? Because I feel like it's changed. Pope didn't come on, but that was that was how you, Eric. You were there. You came that night, and yeah. everyone saw that they were like, "Yeah, Raymond's about ready to murder someone backstage." So let's just do the set now. But it was like just little things. Like it was literally like her bet. The first one was every everything went great and everything got in, including a joke that I was like, "What?" and that I couldn't believe they let me open with. And then the second one though was just like. What is the Pope coming on? And I was like, uh, yeah, he might be coming on. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, just like, I, yeah. so, I just have a, which pope I have a question. That? So, w- was there, when it changed from late night with Jimmy Fallon to the Tonight Show, what was the, did it change there? Like, was there a different kind of like vibe at the show? Oh, totally, was there totally, more pressure? Yeah. Totally. And it, uh, it, it absolutely did. And um, it, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. You were know. they like you can't write these kinds of jokes now? You have to do oh, this earlier. Kind of yeah, we had a lot of a lot more sponsor uh, stuff that we would have jokes that killed because um, you know some some that were that I would argue I would say this is good for them that we're mentioning them. I mean, like right. you know, for example, like like Dunkin' Donuts. One day I just went against it. I was like, oh, screw it, man. This is a like crazy like this is some breakfast sandwich with like a billion calories, and I was like, I don't care, man. We're gonna do this. And we did the joke, and the next day they sent us all free Dunkin' Donuts. Oh wow! And so the company so, wasn't even pissed off. They were happy. That was, that was my point. I was like, "We're, tell, we're, we're telling <laughs> it's us a billboard." It's like for them. this is America. No one, no one, no one's gonna. They're gonna hear about it. No, that sounds delicious. And so, yeah. Funny story about that is, I then I gamed the system, and I kept writing about Dunkin' Donuts the rest of that <laughs> summer. About every other week, I'd write, and they'd every day they'd send us free Dunkin' Donuts. Until finally, Jimmy one day was just like, he just stopped mid read. He goes, I'm not talking, really? And he goes, they, who's, whose jokes are these? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no idea. Yeah. This. And this is when I was in charge. And no one put their hand up. And he just looked at me because he knew. He knew I was a New England learner. He goes, stop. That's all he said. He goes, <laughs> he goes, he goes, are you, he goes, be honest with me. He puts his pen down and he like, you could tell he's going into like doing a bit mode and everyone's laughing. I'm like turning red and he's like, you are you have you been writing jokes, Ryman, to get free lunch from Dunkin' Donuts every day? <laughs> Full time job here at a comedy show, and I was like, uh, yeah. It's like, no, no more. You start writing jokes about <laughs> and he, strippers and, and, and jobs after that. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, people people did that. People wrote jokes about video games and stuff. And but yeah, I was on. I was wow, on, I didn't even know that stuff exists. I, I, I yeah, I, I never tried it again. I was just having him call me out in front of everybody. But uh, yeah, that was one of the things with sponsorships. Um, Every all of a sudden, you know, we were trying to get bigger guests. So, like, you know, like Brad Pitt, people like they right. one of their weird celebrity things that you're like, oh god, let's make fun of it. It's like, oh well, Jimmy's friends with Brad now. It's like, you know. So, but also, I think the big thing that changed between twelve thirty and eleven thirty was twelve thirty. We were the underdogs, and yeah, uh, yeah. You know, when I got first started working there. No one really knew about the show unless you were really in, into it, and. Um, people had kind of forgotten about Jimmy a little bit and yeah. um, we just got good and, and it was like we were all part of this fun kind of thing and you know being I look at those pictures and you know it's such a warm feeling and then most of that group left because they yeah. were all older than me so the most of them left around 2012 and then when we got the Tonight Show I was the old guy all of a sudden I was like the veteran and I was not used to that role and, um, and this was like 2014 right? 13 into 14 and yeah. so I, I wasn't ready for it and but it was like i was the guy and it was like um you know i didn't it was just this weird i had planned on you know we thought conan was going to be there for 10 years we thought we were going to just come 
hang out with Jimmy at twelve thirty as long as he wanted, and then leave. Oh, you were there, and so you were there during that whole thing with Conan, obviously. Yeah, and um, and so it really happened soon, and it it did change everything because. Did you uh, do you have a preference? Which one did you like? Did was one experience more enjoyable oh God, than the other? Dude, the twelve thirty show is my favorite job of all Sounds time. Sounds like it. So, do yeah. you also? Do you remember? I mean, obviously, you were there like pretty early on. Like what I remember when he first started that show, Jimmy Fallon was he kind of took a little while to like uh, get comfortable with monologues. So it seemed like he kind of at first was like he, he struggling a little bit with doing monologues, but then like all of a sudden the show was really, really popular. Do you remember like having that sense or do you remember yeah. that at all? Yeah, we hit our stride. Of, we had some good ones, but we really found our voice around December of the, uh, of, of 09. And it was the Tiger Woods scandal. And um, that was the first thing where Jimmy could really dig in because it was like, you know, it was a pretty easy thing. It was like this golfer, this famous golfer had really been cheating on his wife and had been weird about it and uh, like to a crazy degree and um, kept making it worse with the things he was saying. And so uh, that Jimmy had a take and, um, you know, that was Jimmy's public persona was that he was a, a you know, a, a married man and, uh, Catholic and, um, you know, didn't like talking about sex at all. And so, uh, when this came up, it just, it, it we kind of hit it better, I think, than really any show, oh, which, right. was, which was easy to do because you got to remember Letterman was dealing with his own scandal at the time. So he, oh, so he couldn't talk about that. Yeah. He couldn't talk. And then Conan and Jay were fighting each other. So they were, <laughs> they, uh, wow. they never talked about it. And so we were it. Everyone, everyone said, and we did a great job and we had, you know, Anthony Jeselnik and Morgan Murphy, <laughs> the two, the two best writers yeah. could have to write on that story. And, uh, I just kind of followed them. And that's when it was, you know, uh, Jeremy Wayne left right before the Tiger Woods thing. And Jeremy, same sort of same thing as me. He kind of got the job unexpectedly to take over for Wayne. And, um, it just kind of worked and we were all just looking at each other, having fun, like, you know, sort of a Beatlemania thing. Like, Hey man, this is, just working and people were starting to go viral. And then we did some stuff with like Jersey shore and then Kate Goslin on, on dancing with the stars oh, I remember and that. started to take off and we found what we did. And, uh, it, it, and then we had some good takes on Obama too. And people were still trying to figure him out. He was a hard one to make fun of. Yeah, he was except Jimmy got him because Jimmy's a big fan of the, the vacation movies and he loves Clark Griswold. And uh -huh. I, I do too. And we kind of talked about it and said, Obama, when he was first president, reminded us of Clark Griswold. He was oh, like, that's hey, kids, we're all going to go have fun. And then his hair started to turn gray. And <laughs> you could see him slowly kind of losing it, like, damn it, you know, getting mad at Biden and stuff. Yeah. And that became our Obama. It was just this guy that, you know, a doctor is going to be, uh, everything's going to be fine. Uh, look over there. Smoke a cigarette for five <laughs> seconds. And, then go, and that was our guy. And then we had Dion Cole, uh, not Dion Cole, uh, Dion, um, God, I mean, he's going to kill me for not remembering his last name, but uh, he he came in as a uh, as a um, and played our Obama. Oh yeah, I met that guy. He's yeah, nice kid. Yeah, Dion nice Flynn. Guy. Dion yeah. Flynn. Dion Flynn. Dion Flynn. 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 This awful magician that would come on and, and just be a jerk to Jimmy, and that was the whole right. act. <laughs> and uh, and so Dion Flynn and but like he was great with it too. He got the same vibe because he's a dad, and he was like, oh yeah, he's a he's a. Did dad. you like writing with the Obama jokes more than the Trump jokes? 
Eric, I like uh, talking about my colonoscopy a lot more <laughs> than, than writing the Trump jokes. And um, yeah, there's um, it, to me, I think the, the I've been quite open with this that I think that uh, the President Trump is is the dead ball era for comedy. It is yeah, it has really ruined everything. And it's um, you're right. It, he himself and what he's doing right now because people are dying. This isn't just a matter of rhetoric and silliness on Twitter. There are dead people now. Yeah. And uh, he's denying it. And that's, so it's gone from, ha ha, he might be Hitler to, well, yeah, he's kind of, he's, he, there's some dead people now right. because that, that would probably, that would not be dead. Um, it were not for this, uh, this rhetoric and uh, this person's belief. Right, right. And, that's a good uh, angle right there. It's, it's, um, it's not, but it's not fun. And so when I see people now, like I say, these people it's so hard not to make it hacky at this point. Well, That's I saw what, a couple yeah. weeks ago. I, I saw a couple weeks ago two people who do versions of Trump mm-hmm. fighting each other on Twitter, <laughs> and they're both. And Eric, you, you know who this is, and so we, you know, you and I know one of them, and I, I don't know the other one, but we have friends, and so um, you know, but they're fighting. So you know, it's like when you go through Times Square and you see two Spidermen fighting each other right. or, or two Spongebob. That's, that's what that's like when I see two Trump impersonators fight. And so... And they're like, they're genuinely fighting? Yeah, they're going There's back. A lot and, of, and some people were fighting with uh, the girl who does the, uh, the lip syncing, yeah, Sarah Cooper. JL and Sarah Cooper. And they didn't start yeah. the fight. They got drawn into it by... Oh, uh, I, <laughs> I saw that JL has been getting a lot of it. So they got tagged by this, this jerk and by one jerk saying one was better than the other and they didn't know that they were each involved and that became this thing and but i remember thinking i was like you know guys you're think about okay think about what's happening this november uh think about what this person has done think about what you know how worthwhile is any of this going to be by christmas and also there's this guy named von meter who was very famous for Kennedy Kennedy and then Kennedy got shot and look up what happened with Von Meter (laughs) got shot. What, what happened with Von Meter? Even though he was beloved, (laughs) even though he was beloved and a Grammy winning comedian, he didn't get work anymore. And it was because people, and he had like 10 other great impressions that were relevant and topical. People said, whenever we see Von Meter, we just think Trump and we just, I mean, we we just think JFK. Yeah. I think it's also how Kennedy, you know, left office that made it harder for him to work later. Like, because I feel like people can still do Trump when he's not president. Yeah, but I don't think it's. Here's it's, the thing: I don't want to sound like a, I don't want to sound too pessimistic, but um, I don't think it's going to end well one way or the other. I, I don't think <laughs> it's. Gonna, no, I'm serious. Like I've said this since I was working at the show that um, I think it's going to be an ugly end, and I can't predict how ugly it's going to be. But it's going to be worse than I thought it was going to be. It's going to be. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you even think is in the realm of possibility? Oh, I think. I, I think. Uh, Just trying to get where your head's at. I think that either some shenanigans go on like last time, and it's a weird kind of rigged, tainted election, and we don't really, and it's a big fight. Or I think he loses and refuses to say he loses and says none of it yes. was real. Right. Well, totally. It's I can see that either, happen. Either way, no matter what happens. Uh, if Trump and Biden are both alive and breathing right. and walking human beings on November 4th, we're right. going to basically have a civil war in the United yeah, States. Yeah, it's going to be. Your yeah. side is going yeah. to say, I lost. 
and we're going to still be having the pandemic. We might have another wave because of all the stuff that you're seeing now in my old, by the way, my old neighborhood of Astoria, Queens, uh, <laughs> I favorite, saw that. favorite neighborhood of all time, best people, man, shame on you guys. I mean, that was, that was awful. What and happened? I they, they were out there uh, just last night. They had some big street party or something and, Oh yeah, they're all just partying. The, yeah, the bagel shop being awful to the staffers. You guys are being jerks. And, what the um, fuck, dude? Yeah, stop. no, I love a story. Stop, man. You guys are you ruined it. it and it ruined. looked like the Ozarks. Remember that? that you, guys are, that. you guys are jerks. That and, sounds a little worse. Yeah, just being being real, really, and, and being idiots and just. Um, but uh, but yeah. So what I what, the point I'm trying to make is that yeah, someday you'll be able to do Trump again, maybe. But I think that right after, like, you know, I think after what we're in store for, again, I hate to be a jerk, but I'm just telling you, um, pandemic, seasonal depression, you know, it's November, so you'll have pe- people getting angry yeah. anyway. It's, it's going to be a horrible winter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The economy is going to be bad. Everyone's going to have lost their jobs. Kids going to school or not going to school. Right. And you're going to have a contested election either way. Yeah. And yeah. Trump, even if he loses very clearly, may just be like, I'm not leaving, or he might vacate the White House and then just like spill all the UFO files on his way out. And we're like, oh God, you know. You know, so, you know what I think he's going to do? I think he's setting up that news network for himself, that ONN or OANN or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to lose. He's going to take over that network and become like a whatever. See, that's like, but that's, but that's like being General Grant. That's like, that's, that's like he'll just be. Who's that? Sorry. Um, I should know. He'll Civil just War. be. He'll be uh, the other president. He'll be yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think I that know. that's a very. I think that's kind of what's going to be like. I think he'll like that a little days. bit, though. Just being able to like what he did to Obama, say things without having the real right. response. Yeah, but, dude, but Eric, but the thing is, problem is this time. I mean, we can't. We really can't afford that as a country. Yeah. We can't. We can't take that. And so uh, that's that's my fear and that's my worry. But, well, I support Biden, but I got to tell you, if he wins, he's going to have a really hard job. Yeah, dude. Yeah, oh yeah. God, yeah. And yeah, he's yeah, gonna, yeah. not only just his, he's so you know, fucked if he wins. Like, and yeah. He's going, I mean, there's gonna be half the gonna country that'll want him dead immediately. No, no, I think it'll be not really even easy. that though. <laughs> it's, it's, dude, it's his own. Dude, people on the left already hate Biden. So no, like, I'm not even it, talking it, about. It, I know that he's old be, and he's slipping a little bit, but I'm it's talking not about just that though, dude. They don't think he's progressive enough. It's gonna get ugly just there. Just, just the feedback for Biden. Yeah, well, like with, I whatever. With, I think on the Democrats, I think they'll unite, but I, I don't. I, I don't know, man. I, I think they'll unite, but I think that the Trump people are going to be Trump people. That's for sure. Democrats are going to be Democrats, and I think that. Yeah, uh, maybe. Well, I think because of the the pandemic, I think people. Are yeah, gonna, uh, hopefully. I think that's uh, like every Bernie supporter I know has been like, "Oh, goddamn! Now I'm I'm definitely I'm going in there, and it's not who I want." But so, do you do you right. live in New Hampshire now, or are you just there because <laughs> so, of this? So, Eric, do you want to? Is this where I go into the how it all? Oh, uh, yeah. You know, oh, you don't he, have to. He's t- on the lamb. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'll oh, tell okay. you the story. It's an interesting. It's a good story. Um, okay. So, well, I'm glad I right, asked. So, uh, long story short. Um, we all thought Trump's going to lose, and um, then uh, I had a development deal with someone who Eric knows who it is. I won't name him, but his, he's very tied to um, parodying Trump. And so I had a deal, and then Trump won. And when Trump won, uh, the deal fell through because the tone of the script and everything just was not a fit, uh, and um, no one wanted to do it, and I understood and also then Jimmy wanted to shake things up because he was panicked because of the, the hair tussle and everything. 
And so uh, it led to a lot of tension in the office and it led to a lot of changes. And uh, one of the things was uh, Miles no longer being head writer. And it kind of... 80 divided, miles? Yeah, it divided us. And he and I, because I'd been a jerk to him early on, we'd always had that relationship where it was kind of tense. But I, I, let, I took it because I knew I deserved it. And um, for the way I was to him early on, and he was one of the people that championed me early on. Um, but then I, you know, I had a baby on the way, and um, I, I just moved to a place that I did not like as much as the story. And I was in a bad mood anyway, and I stopped taking it. And I started talking back, and um, eventually he was not there anymore. He was not the head writer. And um, then the, the surprise twist was I became the de facto <laughs> head writer like until we find i thought i was just gonna be like just picking jokes and running outside and we we're gonna be like a three-headed monster and then they were like no until we find a replacement uh you're the face of the writing staff basically and you wow. you are gonna be the guy that talks to jimmy about the news and you're gonna organize the final monologue and you're gonna go into the room and read cue cards you're gonna be there on the floor to take notes and <sighs> okay so the first day that this was going on was a week after uh, our daughter was born. And so I had a newborn baby and this kind of unexpected job all in the same seven-day span. Wow. And so um, not ideal. So it was really like getting the two things you want most in life, but at the same time. And right, so, right. Um, it was really difficult. And um, did, it was bad with Jimmy. And what we didn't know at the time was uh, his mom was sick. And she ended up passing that fall, but we didn't know that, and so we didn't know why he was so down and in a bad mood. Oh, Jimmy Fallon, mm -hmm. uh -huh. and um, we so we were fighting him basically. Like it became more about us trying to get stuff like through him with any audience. Like it was more just us versus was him. This after Trump was in, yeah, and so well, that was already because that yeah. So our ratings were going down. His mom was sick. Uh, Miles was Jesus. gone. Um, and then I had this baby and then Trump was president. It was like, Oh, now you're in charge. So you have a baby and Jesus. also you Trump's president and you're in charge of this mess. This is the tonight show. By the way. And also OJ's getting out of jail. <laughs> That's the other <laughs> area on top. It was like, <laughs> what? And I could just, I could just, I knew somewhere some miles was just like, <laughs> you know, just like, you know, and he's, <laughs> you know, God bless. And so, um, Finally, we kind of turned a corner and uh, with Jimmy and uh, just from pushing back, there was something that I disagreed with him on and I said, no, I think we should do it this way. And I, my attitude was, fire me. Like, I, I want it out. I was like, this is killing me. I, I don't get to see my baby and I feel like shit and I'm not eating and I'm drinking coffee all the time. And uh, But it worked. And so then he was just like, hey, man. And he was all of a sudden friendly again. And I became like, the champion like like my first year i became like the face like the hot new writer again at age 30 whatever you know like just like um inexplicably and he went to me for everything and he like you know got to the point where he didn't even read jokes he was just like oh, i'm not you know you do it you pick what you think's funny and go talk to gerard and then uh we'll go rehearse it and it was like great and so we got there and it was this really fun thing but again i wasn't sleeping i was sleeping four hours a night um, I was eating one and a half meals a day. Um, I was drinking, God, probably six or seven caffeinated beverages a day, uh, not much water. And uh, there was an incident. So then in that January, the first day back, we'd had two weeks off, and I felt like shit. 
by like one and everyone else is happy and they're in a good mood. And I was like, why am I sweating and tired and everything? I just had two weeks off. Like, why do I feel hurt? So that night I went and had dinner with um, a woman by the name of Amy Ozels. And Amy had been um, a, a producer on late night and she was going to be the showrunner for the tonight show and got fired uh, right before we took over. And out of the blue, like a character that just kind of showed up again in a TV show, she was coming back to be head writer. And I was actually happy about this because it was yeah. someone I knew and it was a known uh, uh, entity and I'd, we'd written a pilot together and we'd had, you know, she'd always stood up for me at late night and I went to have dinner with her and I was expecting it to be like this great thing. And instead the tone was kind of um, trying to talk me into leaving and I didn't really understand it. And I was kind of trying to get her to, like, I was kept saying, like, you know, like, what are you getting at here to like, you know, and, and it was not a good meeting. It ended up her being like, don't you want to go do something else? Me being like, uh, no, we're having fun here for the first time. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm running the monologues. It's a dream. A baby, it's fantastic. And so that night on the subway ride home, um, again, not really having eaten a lot and all this stress, um, I I shot someone? A, <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> myself, basically, uh, without going into great detail, um, had a physical um, uh, event, had something bad happen, and uh, it required help getting off the train and everything. And uh, Really? Yeah, the, 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 the path train, you know, people were down there to help me get off, and they're, do we need to go to the doctor or whatever? And it just so happened my wife and daughter weren't home that night. They were with family. So I kind of just pretended it never happened. And, but I physically felt a pop in my head. And because I was just thinking all these things, I was thinking about Trump and how are we going to beat Colbert and, and yeah, yeah. he wants me to quit. And it was just, and trying to write, because I always wrote any second ahead, I wrote on my phone and I just, you know, so from that point forward, I had, I could read jokes, I could edit jokes and I could run the mono, but I wasn't getting anything out anymore. I couldn't write a goddamn thing. Like I just would look at a story and I just couldn't get it. It wasn't there anymore. And I, like, I could, it was funny when we had her pitch bits or thank you notes or whatever, I could do that, but I couldn't do the thing I knew and I didn't know how to relearn it. Well, why would, why do you think that was from that thing that happened on the train? Yeah, I think it was like, it was, it was a mini stroke basically was what it was. Oh my God. Um, and so, um, then Amy came into the office. So it was like, I kind of felt like one of those wrestlers when you're already beat up in the ring and then the music hits and another guy comes out with the money in the bank briefcase <laughs> and you're like, oh God. <laughs> so then he, so I'm already hurting and I'm like, I got to figure this out. My arms, my right arm is all black and blue and everything. And she um, comes in and um, just slowly starts kind of changing everything and sending emails at 2 a.m. that from now on, I'm going to have you and... Joe Schmo over there, read the jokes. What? You know, like just ran, and we're going to rotate and it's going to be all these weird things. And then forcing jokes into rehearsal that I was like, it would be a joke that would just make fun of fat people or it would be a joke that made fun of West Virginia. I'd be like, hey, I know this was cool at late night. Jimmy's not into this anymore. Like Jimmy has a different sensibility. We're trying to be smarter here. And she'd say, uh, hey, you know, it started off, trust me, trust me, to trust me. And so I would. And he'd do the joke, and it would eat it, and he would look over at me. And Amy would be looking down, taking notes, like, that was a bad joke. 
So finally, um, it was clear this was not going to work. And it, it was awkward for the writing staff. And a lot of them were coming to me and saying, Amy wants me to do this. And uh, what, what do you, I don't want to. I don't think we should. What do you say? And I was like, well, she's the boss. And they were like, well, are you, what, who are you anymore? And I was like, ah, that's a good point. So uh, went to the showrunner and uh, we were trying to figure it out. And basically what he said to me was, he thought Amy was going to be gone by April. He was like, we signed her to a deal. There's an out clause. We know, we all know it's not working. We all know where it's going. This is kind of just to appease Jimmy and give her one more shot. And it's not working. And so we were thinking, how do we get through it? Well, I never took paternity leave. And so I said, Hey, why don't we do that now? Why don't we give her, we only got like a couple weeks till hiatus, give her full reign and um, I'll take some time, get re-energized, all that. And so he agreed. And so then... Uh, when you came right, back, they locked to change the locks? Close. So what happened was uh, I got a phone call three days before my return date saying, uh, you're going to keep working, but working from home. And you're going to keep doing it indefinitely. And um, what's the future here? Uh, we don't really know yet. You know, and so I, since I wanted, to, and I, the whole time this has been going on, every time I had expressed insecurity or whatever about like, you know, are you guys, everything cool? Um, they'd say, yeah, yeah, everything's great. We want you back. It's great. So when I heard it was going to be indefinite, I went into my office to uh, get some stuff that I, you know, okay, well, I might as well clean out if they're, if I'm not going to be around. I don't want to be everyone's way. And I went into my office. And um, it, all my stuff was gone. And oh, uh, my desk, every drawer was, um, was gone. And er someone else's stuff was there. And I went over to the wall that had everyone's pictures, like of the staff, and that was gone too. My picture was gone. Oh, that sucks. And that's how I found out that it was like... <laughs> and then even after that, they were like, they were still, so then when, when my agent was like, hey, you guys kind of just broke the law, uh, so how about you just buy this dude out? They still fought it. They were still like, uh, no, he's going to have to write uh, if he wants the money. And so it became like a thing. And then I, I couldn't talk to anyone there. And um, as it's been told to me, uh, I, that's the weird thing is I don't, first of all, I don't know what happened with Jimmy. I don't know how you go from being someone's right-hand man and working for him on Saturdays sometimes. Like there was a show up in Boston that my wife and daughter were sick. They had the flu and I was like, I can't go. And he emailed me and emailed me and emailed me and emailed me all morning and then made a train reservation for me and said, go get on the train and come meet me in Boston and paid me. But I mean, I, you know, I didn't need the money at the time. I'd rather keep my family, you know? Yeah. And then he just kind of, that was it. And when did it, when did all this happen? Yeah. When did that all happen? Um, so we were like best buds, December 2017 still. And then by February, March, uh, he and I, uh, I haven't seen him since the end of February 2018. Uh, wow, okay. He emailed me during a really tough time that I was going through. Um, I sent him an email well, that's during, nice. a, during a really tough time uh, for him. Um, and we've made plans four or five times to get together but then day of his assistant always emails me and says jimmy's gotta get fitted for bowling shoes or some you know, ridiculous <laughs> yeah, thing. Right. like okay yeah. well yeah. and then to add to that um i was 
So that's, I'm not the worst one, by the way. The worst story I've heard was two others. Another guy got demoted during vacation. He was on an island in the Caribbean and his phone rang and he picked it up and that's how he found out. So in the middle of his break. And then there was other people who, there was two writers who got fired. So they called a writer's meeting with every writer but those two. Yeah. And so the writers all went into the conference room and then the other two were like, what the hell is going on? And then Amy pops in and fires that's, do you have any like I know you've probably thought about do you have any theories about like what what happened or like um yeah I think Amy um every, look uh, it's just the thing yeah. that's been that's business to though. me by everybody was that Amy fed Jimmy some BS that I said or did it wasn't true and um, he believed it and by the time he realized it wasn't true uh, you know Jimmy he's he doesn't really confront things. Um, even the Chris Rock thing a couple weeks ago, um, he apologized, but he also said, I was advised not to apologize. Yeah, so he kind of threw other people under the bus a little bit. He just doesn't right. deal with things. He just gets rid of them. And so I think that by the time he realized all that, he even said this in one of his messages that he, he let it get away. Right. And so last year, I got a phone. I kept being told by my management you know, they're trying to bring you back. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, whatever. And by now I was already teaching at Emerson and I was already trying to like move on and I was in therapy to move on. And they, I kept getting these every two weeks. Yeah. And you know, they're working on it and they're just trying to figure out what to do with Amy. You know, as soon as she's gone, you're, you're and I was like, whatever. So finally one day I get a phone call from Jim Bell, who was the showrunner at the time. And we had a really good talk. And he basically says, all right, you passed the test with me. I'm going to go tell Jimmy, and I'm going to call you Thursday night with details. And for two days, I, was, I couldn't believe it. And so that Thursday night, while they were taping their Friday show at 8.15 p.m., while Jim Bell is in the control room, can't defend himself, all that, the New York Post comes out with this story about how everyone at The Tonight Show hates Jim Bell. Oh, and it was a hit Jesus. piece on Jim Bell. And I'll t put this in context. When Amy was about to be fired in 2018 at one point, the very next day in Variety, there was this big article about how Amy Ozels had made her triumphant return to The Tonight Show. Mm, okay. And this February, March, sometime around then, the leaks stopped at The Tonight Show. I don't know if you guys noticed, but like all the hits on Jimmy kind of ended. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you who got fired around the same time, but you can probably piece mm. it together. And um, that's uh, that's my theory. And um, wow, yeah. this is like fascinating. This is like yeah, so, really inside. <laughs> yeah, and then <laughs> the, oh, like... and then the there. This is this is the classic story for me. Is that when I finally sucked it up and said, you know, I'm just tired of having a, an enemy. I'm just tired of feeling angry. Right. Um, I I emailed Amy. And said, you know what? I'm going to be in New York next week. This was this year, and I said, oh, I'm going to be in New York, and uh, just get, I'll buy you a coffee. Well, you know, let's 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 just talk because I she'd already been demoted, and she'd already kind of had the writing staff taken away from her, and so I know she'd been through it. So I was like, why don't we just talk? Hmm. And then uh, I never heard back, and my friend goes, when did you email her? And I said, oh, Thursday. He goes, yeah, she got fired that day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so she got this email God. from me. So I'm trying this, to be a good... This was this year? Yeah, so I'm trying oh, to be... I'm crazy. trying to be... I talked about my therapist and everything. We planned out how to say it, and I sent this very genuine thing. I was like, okay, I feel good. 
someone's like, yeah, I go, when did she get fired? They're like, like after the show, when did you send your email? I was like, oh man, it's like 45 minutes after you guys taped. And they're like, yeah, you probably, that probably seemed like you were being a jerk. And I was like, oh, oh man. man. So, so this was like pretty traumatic. Huh? Like you're talking about going to therapy. Like, I guess it like had a pretty. Oh God, it was, yeah, it was awful because it all happened at the same time as, like I said, I had a, this, this thing on the train was so bad. It was repressed. And I thought I was just having like an arthritis. Eric knows I have arthritis. Um, and so I thought I was just having a, you know, my arm was just being sore or something. And um, I'd kind of forgotten all about the train thing. All so much had happened between Amy coming back. My grandmother died. Um, other personal stuff that was going on. I had another love. One of my parents was and still is very sick. Um, and um, I forgot. I forgot all about me. I forgot all about the thing on the train. And, um, so yeah, I've said this to Eric and if, I will freely say this to anybody. It was the worst moment of my life to go into that office. And again, blessed, blessed am I, that's the worst moment of my life because yeah. right. everyone's got worse moments. I've been fired from much worse jobs. <laughs> so have I. I was fired by the animal planet and WWE. But, uh, <laughs> but that's the bit. That's WWE, the business WWE was a layoff, but yeah. yeah, that was, that was a, I was costing too much money yeah. and it didn't have anything for me, but. Um, with, um, you know, yeah, it was, it was, oh, a, this is a, it was this a shocker. Is it was to go into your office to uh, the show you've yeah, worked yeah, for a that's decade crazy. and keep thinking. And I always liken it to, cause you keep hearing me talk about wrestling. That was where, and by the way, I'll say on the record, um, I have no, for me, look, I know what they've been doing lately. And so I know there's a lot of ill will towards WWE and whatever, they treated me good and they treated me well and they, they kept me busy when I was working for them. And there were a couple of people there who knew I was going through some tough times and, and were, and were great. And, uh, Bruce Pritchard in predict in particular, if you ever listen to his podcast, um, just a wonderful, wonderful human being and a great guy. And, uh, one of my favorite people ever, but wrestling is one of my other loves. And you guys maybe know the story of Bret Hart, the Montreal screw job. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where he was, they, he had to leave. They realized they weren't going to be able to keep him around. There wasn't a fit anymore. And he said, okay. And so it was sort of similar. It was like, Amy's here. We don't know how it's going to work out. Let's figure out a way out. And so we've kind of figured a way out. And so in Brett's situation, he didn't want to lose the championship in Canada. He's from Canada. And Vince was like, well, pal, you got to lose the championship. That's how it works when you're leaving. And Brett was like, look, I'm, I've been here. I've been your guy for a decade. I've been your star. You have my word. You know, I'll pay it for myself. I'll show up tomorrow at Raw. You can have me. I'll go, you know, I'll, I'll let someone go over to Raw to whoever you want. But just, I don't want to lose in Canada. That's the thing. I'll do an extra night. You don't even have to pay me. And so... Vince didn't want it. And they went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until finally Vince and the guys said, look, man, Brett doesn't want to, in their view, doesn't want to play ball. So what we're going to do is come up with the real ending of the match. We're not going to tell Brett. Mm-hmm. As soon as he's in a submission hold, you ring the bell. You say mm-hmm. he gave up. And it's known as the Montreal screw job. Uh, and Brett, you know, it's a traumatic thing. It's like, that's how you leave a place that you, that meant so much to you. And so for me, when I went in and saw, I mean, I just kept thinking, you know, like there are people in my life who kept saying, using that as an example, do you think they're going to screw you? Like, do you, do you feel like you may, like, I don't know, man, you've been out of there a couple weeks now. And have you heard from Jimmy? No. Um, 
but it's only been a couple weeks. Okay, well, have you, you know, have you heard any real updates about an extension, about what your role is going to be? No, but they keep saying, it's, it's don't worry, okay. And it kind of did start to get in my head like, yeah, maybe, but I, it was ironic because the last year I was like there was the probably the best behavior I'd been on. Yeah. I, I was a jerk at the beginning because I was cranky from having a baby and dealing with Jimmy. But all of a sudden I became mature. And, you know, Gerard even said, and I heard it got back to me from other people. He'd been saying, man, Ryman's really, Gerard Bradford is a showrunner. Ryman's really stepped up and he's really, he's, he's grown up here and he's really uh, dug himself out of the, the, the grave he dug himself this summer when he was really being a jerk again. And uh, good for him. And it's good to see. And we like the work and we owe him and, and all this. And uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to wrap it up. To go in and see all that was, was changed. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this has been um, unbelievable to listen to. Actually. <laughs> that's a good yeah. one. Um, so that's, so that's how things stand. And um, yeah, thank, well, thank you so much for doing this. I, um, Hopefully, uh, uh, so how long were you there? How long were you there? I'm just curious, like eight years, nine years? I was there uh, eight and a half, about eight and a half years. And then I did a, a year of teaching and I was with WWE for about half a year. And um, then, uh, wow. since then That's, uh, now, now getting back to work on things now that we're yeah, yeah. trying to produce under quarantine this week, as a matter of fact, is when... The meetings ramp up again on, on and you know and yeah. um comics unleashed hopefully when that comes back <laughs> you can get on it again comics Maybe unleashed can... zoom show so we can actually mute you half the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um well john ryman thank you so please come back yeah. on the show again. Yeah, have me back out. let's not end on such a negative note i'd love yeah. to come back Please, yeah, this is. Oh, I'm sure there'll be updates too. Eric, yeah, me back on. Let's talk. Let's talk stand up and WWE. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, man. You this, is, to say yeah. This, is, this is a talk fun stuff next time. This is an amazing <laughs> guest, I have to say yeah. out loud. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Good time. So, uh, John Ryman, thanks again, and uh, yeah, thanks, thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thank we'll see you, you on the next show. Uh, thank you, and um, hopefully, I'll talk to you guys uh, soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Definitely. Like that movie